Hi, interns. Welcome back again. Today's story is taking us back to the U.S., this time to Worcester, Massachusetts. Now, I really want to call it War Sister or Worcester, but apparently that's how the people who aren't from there say it, which I'm not from there. But apparently the local pronunciation is Wooster. So if any of you are actually from anywhere around there in Massachusetts, let me know if I'm actually saying that right. Anyway, it's a city that's located centrally in the state of Massachusetts with a population listed at just shy of 206,000 people as of 2021. Interestingly, the city is celebrated for its diversity and multiculturalism. 22% of the population were born outside of the U.S. That's a pretty cool thing to boast. Another interesting fact I found is that Wooster is known as the heart of the Commonwealth. And as such, the heart is the official symbol of the city. But there is another interesting nod to the heart, Valentine's Day cards. While they weren't invented in the city, it is the place where they first became mass-produced and gained popularity, thanks to a local resident by the name of Esther Howland. But we're not here to talk about Esther or the history of Valentine's Day cards. We're here to meet Heidi Richard. Welcome to the Miss Medical Podcast, Diagnosis Flatline. I'm your host, Destry Godwin. Miss Medical explores stories of misdiagnosis, malpractice, mysteries, and misogyny. You're my interns, and this is where true crime and medicine collide. This is Miss Medical. was an incredibly healthy and active 44-year-old woman at the time our story begins in 2019. Having been an avid runner since high school, she had a strong focus on her health and was known to even run marathons. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting on my butt right now recording this podcast and I can't even fathom running a marathon. In early 2019, the third grade teacher and mom of two got annual routine blood work done through her family physician. Being obviously proactive about her health, she logged in and checked her own results. And she did notice that her white blood cell count was lower than the normal range. In medical terms, we would call this leukopenia. Leuko meaning white or white blood cell, and penia meaning deficiency. 
There can be a variety of reasons for a low white blood cell count, ranging from really simple things like a deficiency in vitamins, such as folic acid or B12, all the way to things like autoimmune disorders, like, say, lupus, where your own immune system destroys the white blood cells faster than they can be made. As a side note, I don't know if any of you used to watch the show House when it was on, but every time I hear the word lupus, I just have this like highlight reel from the show House playing in my head where they're like, maybe it's lupus. I bet it's lupus. It could be lupus. But sorry, that's just my medical nerd. Heidi waited to hear her doctor's opinion on the matter of her blood work, but when he didn't reach out to her with any concerns, she just assumed that it was nothing to be worried about, or maybe it was just a mild anomaly. I mean, our bodies do all kinds of weird things all the time. But then, Heidi started getting sick. A lot. Now, a tricky conundrum that we run into in both medicine and in research is causation versus correlation. What I mean here is... Was Heidi getting sick constantly because her low white blood cell count was making her more susceptible to infection? Or was an underlying infection causing both her symptoms of illness and her low white blood cell count? Her symptoms persisted for weeks. A sore throat, fatigue, aches and pains. She had further blood work done checking for a mono infection, which you might recall our little chat about mono back from Dylana's episode, but that test was negative. That blood work, however, again showed a reduced white blood cell count. For two months, Heidi had diarrhea daily. She thought it might be related to medications or to dairy in her diet, so she tried making lifestyle changes and just pushing on through. And to her relief, the diarrhea did stop, but her journey of weird symptoms was far from over. Just when she thought she might be catching a break, her symptoms suddenly progressed further. Heidi started experiencing agonizing abdominal pain. It was so bad, it would wake her up in the middle of the night and even brought her to the point of vomiting from how intense this pain was. Heidi knew that she had to get to the bottom of this. Her symptoms were impacting all facets of her life at this point. Her ability to be physically active and to pursue her passion of running, her relationships with her husband and her children, and even her mood and energy levels at her job. I mean, as a third grade teacher, those kids are, what, seven, eight, nine-year-olds? I mean, you gotta have a lot of energy to be keeping up with kids that age and to be on top of it and focused and, and actually educating them. And that's got to be really hard to do when you're exhausted and you're in pain all the time. So she called her doctor's office and booked an appointment with the nurse practitioner. In family medicine, 
Nurse practitioners can be used to help the family doctor assess and treat more kind of routine patient concerns, which allows the clinic to see more patients and to see them more quickly. The NP can kind of clear out some of those minor concerns and the, you know, more persistent or more serious concerns would be escalated to the physician to investigate. We actually use that kind of setup at the urgent care facility where I work. I know if you guys are keeping track, (laughs) I say this a lot. I work at three different facilities. That's why I kind of bounce around between them. Like, oh, when I work at the trauma hospital or when I work at the children's emergency, I also work at an urgent care facility and we have nurse practitioners on staff who will routinely see uh, some of the more straightforward, like an ear infection in kids, or um, they treat a lot of our broken bones that come in because it's very straightforward things. And then it's not tying up our physicians on things that don't necessarily need a physician. At Heidi's clinic, the nurse practitioner heard out Heidi's symptoms and concerns and felt that the symptoms were stress and anxiety related. When I originally read this, I was kind of surprised that they would jump straight to that conclusion until I learned that Heidi did have a previous medical history that involved anxiety-related concerns. The NP prescribed Prilosec, which is an antacid medication, and assured Heidi that she really had nothing to worry about. If you're like me and you're like, okay, so it's anxiety, but here's an antacid. Um, The connection there, I guess, is that they're thinking the anxiety and the stress is causing um, symptoms of reflux or overproduction of, of acids in the stomach. Maybe she's not eating very well. And when you have issues with acid or too much acid or reflux, it can cause really a lot of weird symptoms. It can upset your stomach, your gastrointestinal system can make you nauseous or throwing up. Um, So it kind of fits, I guess. Heidi took the medication diligently as prescribed, hoping and praying that this would be the answer and it would resolve her symptoms. But the pain persisted. It seemed like the antacid was doing nothing to relieve the stomach pain, the nausea, or the vomiting. For two weeks, she tried to wait it out, hoping that any day would be the one where she would start feeling better. She was miserable, though. She lost her appetite and lost a whopping 30 pounds or 13 kilograms for those who prefer that measurement. She booked another appointment with the nurse practitioner, desperate for a solution. The NP remained confident in her diagnosis. Heidi was experiencing too much stress in her life, triggering her anxiety to flare up to unmanageable levels. This time, the NP recommended that Heidi continue to take the antacids And she also added anti-anxiety medication. And yet again, she told Heidi to just wait it out. 
by this point, Heidi was starting to feel like she was maybe being brushed off a little bit. It just seemed too simple to blame all of this on anxiety. Sure, I mean, she'd had anxiety challenges in the past, but never anything even close to this. She enjoyed running. She enjoyed her job. She really didn't have an above average level of stress in her life. How could all of this be from anxiety? And of course, in a weirdly ironic twist, the more the pain persisted, the more anxious Heidi became. She started fearing the pain, fearing nighttime and trying to sleep, so much so that she started waking up in the night drenched in sweat. She expressed this new symptom to the NP again, who told Heidi it was most likely age-related and maybe even perimenopause. She didn't order any further testing, and Heidi was left feeling defeated. As time passed, she started to adjust to her new normal of weird symptoms and ongoing pain. She didn't want to leave her life in limbo over it, so she tried her best to carry on as best as she could. By late 2019 and into early 2020, it had been almost a year since her mysterious symptoms had begun, and she was determined to reclaim her life. She started training for the Providence Marathon. She felt like having something to mentally and physically focus on, to challenge herself with, and knowing that it was such a source of joy in her life, she figured that this would all have benefits for her overall health. But her health was determined to get in her way. At first, she started to notice this really strange swelling in her neck. Just when she was starting to get kind of concerned about it, it would mysteriously disappear again. This came and went for weeks. She also noticed a dramatic and very frustrating decline in her physical ability to run. Her stamina was in the absolute gutter and she wasn't able to keep up with her training partners. She had aches and pains and felt constantly fatigued. She pushed on though as best she could, but she felt like she was just losing this battle. After yet another round of swelling in her neck, she consulted with the NP yet again. And if you're counting, which I have been, this will be her fourth appointment with the NP in the past year. And do you want to guess what happened this time? Heidi was diagnosed with a pulled muscle. She was prescribed a muscle relaxant and told, more or less, suck it up, buttercup. If you're feeling frustrated at this point, so am I. But more importantly, so was Heidi. This felt like the last straw 
in a year of appointments where she yet again felt like she was being brushed off and not taken seriously. This seemed to be solidified when her neck swelling continued to return despite the muscle relaxants. Fed up and knowing in her gut that this was more than anxiety, Heidi called her doctor's office again, but this time she demanded to see her family doctor. It was already well into February of 2020. She had been doing everything they told her to for over a year and was only getting worse. She was tired of being brushed off, tired of being told it was no big deal, tired of being told that it all stemmed from anxiety, but mostly tired of being sick. Finally, she was seen. She laid all of her concerns out, recapping all that she'd been through that previous year, and she was firm in her resolve that she needed an answer as to what was going on. She was sent for a CT scan, which it seems was completed pretty quickly. Unfortunately, though, the results weren't as definitive as she'd hoped. There was something spotted on the scan, but it wasn't clear what exactly it was. So she was referred to see an ENT specialist, which is an ears, nose, throat doctor, or more technically, an otolaryngologist. And this became just another doctor who was going to brush her off. He told her that she was young, healthy, and probably totally fine. I'm hoping that it was said in the context of like trying to be reassuring, but I also kind of feel like it's a bit too similar as to what Heidi had literally spent the last year hearing. Heidi underwent a surgery to remove and biopsy the lymph nodes in her neck. And finally, she got an answer, but it was one that she could not have seen coming. She was diagnosed with follicular lymphoma. She was told her diagnosis in March of 2020, and then the whole world shut down in response to a global pandemic. Follicular lymphoma is a form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer affecting the lymphatic system. Your lymphatic system is a whole network of, of nodes and channels and fluid that circulates through your body as a key part of your immune system. Picture it as being super similar to your circulatory system where you have fluid, which is blood, and channels like your veins and arteries, and organs, your spleen and your heart. Your lymphatic system is just like that, only instead of for the purpose of blood and oxygen, its purpose is lymph fluid and immune function. Within that lymph fluid, you have lymph cells or lymphocytes. 
there are two primary types, B cells, which have the primary job of producing specific antibodies to neutralize any invading threats, and T cells, which are the actual little bulldog cells that directly destroy microorganisms and even cancer cells. Of course, that's kind of a really oversimplified explanation, and there's several different subtypes of B cells and T cells that all have different functions and jobs and lifespans, but it gives you kind of a high-level idea. Follicular lymphoma is a cancer that affects the B cells specifically, where mutated B cells start circulating and multiplying. The reason it's called follicular lymphoma is because the cancer cells tend to gather in clusters, which are called follicles, within the lymph nodes. Typically, this is considered a slow-growing or low-grade cancer and is often treated more as a chronic disease than as a cancer. This all seems like good news so far, right? Unfortunately for Heidi, this was not the full story. After her initial diagnosis, she was referred to see an oncologist who did a PET scan. A PET scan, for those who might not know, is short for positron emission tomography. It uses a special type of camera and a radioactive substance called a tracer, and it takes pictures of your internal organs. The tracer is kind of the key piece to this though. It usually contains a glucose type substance, which collects in cells that are using a lot of energy, like cancer cells. This causes those clusters of the tracer to light up on the images, showing potential sites of cancerous cells. And for Heidi, boy, did it light up. It showed masses in her abdomen, her bone marrow, her lungs, her spleen, her sternum, her spine, and something suspicious in her groin. When they biopsied some of these masses, Heidi found out just how serious her situation was. The biopsies showed that she had stage 4 diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which is a very aggressive cancer that can sometimes develop if follicular lymphoma has been left untreated. Like, for example, if it took somebody a long time before they managed to get a diagnosis. According to Cancer.net, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, or DLBCL for short, because I don't want to have to keep saying that, is the most common form of lymphoma making up about 30% of all non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the U.S. It's fast-moving, though, and timely treatment is super critical. 
by the time of a stage 4 diagnosis, the 5-year survival rate is 57%. Well, this is better than some of the other cancers that we've talked about on the show, it's certainly still not a statistic I would like to have my life weighed against. Since time was already not on her side, Heidi began immediate treatment, which involved three rounds of outpatient chemotherapy, followed by six months of aggressive inpatient chemo to get the cancer into remission, and even a stem cell transplant in January of 2021. The stem cell transplant does come with risks of its own, namely an increased risk of breast cancer in the next 10 to 15 years. But Heidi's oncologist encouraged the treatment, telling her that without it, she might not otherwise be here in 10 to 15 years anyway. And because all of these treatments happened throughout 2020, which was the height of the pandemic, Heidi had to endure treatments alone, with hospital protocols dictating no visitors or support people were allowed. Speaking in an interview published on Today.com about the ordeal, Heidi said, quote, I often wonder if I would have been taken more seriously if I were male. Doctors kept saying, oh, it's anxiety, or you can't handle the stress of your job, or you're overreacting, it's not a big problem. I don't feel like they would have said those things to me if I had been a man. I think deep down I always knew something really wasn't right, but I didn't listen to my body. I urge people not to be afraid to contradict a medical professional if you think something isn't right. You know when you don't feel good. You have to be your own advocate and you know yourself best. When something is off with your body, do something about it. Don't wait. If something is continuing and it's outside of your normal, don't be afraid to speak up. End quote. Following the more aggressive treatments, Heidi was moved on to a treatment plan involving immunotherapy every three weeks. But the good news here is that these are considered maintenance treatments because Heidi is successfully in remission. She's already completed 18 months of this two-year treatment plan, so the end is in sight with the finish line only six months away. Once she reaches that point, the risk of a reoccurrence of the cancer drops dramatically. So she'll mostly be able to live life normally, apart from being closely monitored for any warning signs in the future, of course. And speaking of the finish line, if Heidi's journey wasn't already impressive enough, she also ran in the Boston freaking marathon in April of 2022, which if you're wondering was 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers. 
She joined the team raising money to support Detect Together, which is a nonprofit organization whose goal is to spread awareness about the early warning signs of cancer. Heidi managed to raise a whopping $14,000. I think Heidi's story is unbelievably inspiring. From a delayed diagnosis to facing cancer treatments alone to running a whole freaking marathon, I feel like there's nothing she can't do. I had the honor of connecting with Heidi as I was researching this episode, and she told me that while she does suffer from some aches and fatigue for the 48 hours that follows her immunotherapy, she's still teaching full-time and living life normally apart from needing a few days off here and there for treatment. I asked if she felt if she had suffered from any lingering trust issues within the medical community after her experience of being completely brushed off, and she told me that she does have a really hard time trusting medical professionals now. She said, quote, because I've seen that they can make mistakes or brush things off, I find it incredibly hard to trust. I have a lot of anxiety around medical procedures, and even when I'm reassured by a doctor, I have a hard time believing them, end quote. Luckily for Heidi, I have every faith that she will be one of our survivor stories who managed to overcome a delayed diagnosis and a hearty dose of medical misogyny. When I asked her what was one message that she would want our listeners to know, her words were this, quote, Know you're normal. Trust yourself. And when something doesn't feel normal, don't be afraid to push a doctor for more testing. Doctors are human too and make mistakes. You know your body best. End quote. If you want to get more involved, Heidi and the Miss Medical Podcast would like to encourage you to support the Detect Together organization. We'll include the link to it in our show notes, or you can find ways to get involved or donate at detecttogether.org. That's D-E-T-E-C-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R.org. If you want to support the Miss Medical Podcast as well, you can find us on Patreon or on Buy Me a Coffee. And a portion of any donations or proceeds or support that comes in following this episode will also be donated to Detect Together to help their mission. For sources and additional show notes, follow the link in the episode summary to our website. If you'd like to see pictures related to the episodes and the Miss Medical Podcast, you can find us on Instagram as Miss Medical Podcast. If you love Miss Medical and want to support the show, find us on Patreon where you can officially join the intern team. All episodes are written by myself and aim to be as factually accurate as possible. Music is an original composition recorded and produced by Jason Chamberlain. And of course, make sure you follow the podcast on your chosen platform so you never miss an episode.